0: the CWCCS podcast with Pastor Al Pittman. On this episode, we continue the Revelation series recap, and today's message is called The Scarlet Harlots. Oh, and stick around afterwards to learn about Pastor Al's latest book, Revelation Earth's Final Chapter. But now, here's Pastor Al.
1: Well, if you have a Bible, you're there in Revelation chapter 17. We're going to be studying Revelation chapter 17 this morning. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus that you will bless your word today and that your word will go forth with your promise, that it will not return to you void, but will accomplish that which you send it to do. And Lord, that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive your word. We ask it all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. All right. We're ready to go on one less hour of sleep. Amen. Here we go. Praise the Lord. I've entitled this message, The Scarlet Harlot. In chapter 17, we find the demise of the great harlot. And the great harlot is depicted here as the false church during the tribulation period. She is called a harlot due to the fact that she is unfaithful to her husband, that is Jesus Christ. The false church of the tribulation would be the full manifestation of the apostate church. As one commentator writes, and I quote, the harlot is Christendom estranged from God and become thoroughly secularized and degenerated, close quote. The warning here in chapter 17 is very clear for us today because the church today is in danger of playing the harlot. God considers the rejection of his authority in our lives as an act of spiritual adultery, an act of spiritual harlotry. I was reading recently here that the United Methodist Church experienced a split within their denomination. During a vote they took at their conference, I think the conference was in February, February 26, 2019 this year. And as this one article stated, and I quote, America's second largest Protestant denomination, the United Methodist Church, is set to split. As the church's top policy-making body voted Tuesday to maintain prohibitions on homosexuality to expel gay pastors. Today's vote at the United Methodist Church's uh, uh, general conference in St. Louis, delayed by filibusters, amendments, and other tactics by progressives comes after two compromise options were rejected by narrow margins, close quote. The margin was 53 to 46%. And my question was, how did the margin become so narrow? Because the church, even today, is embracing a spirit of fornication with the world. Just as the great harlot is depicted here, the false church is embracing a spirit of spiritual fornication during the tribulation period. As the church, the Bible tells us that we are betrothed to Christ. In other words, we are his. The Bible says they shall be mine saith the Lord. We are betrothed to Jesus Christ. We are the bride. He is the groom. But far too often in the church, in the church, and the church members, I should say, many times we are found in the arms of our lovers. There are three basic lovers that we wrestle with, that we contend with, that we need to resist. John talks about them in 1 John chapter 2. Where is... Written these words, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, lover number one, the lust of the flesh, lover number two, the lust of the eyes, and lover number three, the pride of life. Is not of the father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. You see, our only real true remedy against the harlotry, the spirit of harlotry, entering into the church, entering into our lives, is repentance. It is returning to our first love, who is Jesus Christ, by doing the will of our Father according to his word. Paul warned the young preacher, Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust, avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed according to the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. In verses 1 and 2, so with that, we dive into Revelation Chapter 17, beginning here at verse one, John says, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. The harlot sits on many waters. Many waters is actually described for us and it tells us in the scripture what many waters are in verse 15 of this chapter. If you turn over there, you'll see verse 15. The angel says to John, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. It's the inhabitants of the earth that she has complete or influence over them. Her harlotry is worldwide. And those who follow her, the Bible says in verse 2, the latter part, are made drunk. They are made drunk. Let me just tell you that the people in this article I read about the United Methodist Church who were mourning the decision of the church to expel gay pastors or LGBT pastors, that those people who were mourning that decision, who call themselves Christians, are actually, in fact, drunk Under the spirit of this world, rather than the spirit of God's word. And there's a lot of drunk people in the church. Now listen, you're LGBTQXYZ, I don't care. This this church is open to all sinners. In fact, we're just recovering sinners, amen. There's no perfect people here, amen. And so you are welcome here, regardless. But the reality is we're going to declare the word of God and speak the word of God in truth. But there's a lot of drunk people in the church today who call themselves followers of Jesus who are under the influence of the world rather than under the influence of the word. We're in danger. Of spiritual harlotry today in the church. As far as the world was concerned regarding the great harlot, she was one of them. Verse two says the first part. With whom the kings of the earth committed fornication. The rulers of the earth are in relationship, having intercourse, spiritually speaking, with this great harlot. And they are one together. Verses 3 and 4, as we continue on. Verse 3 says, so he carried me, because the angel said, I'm going to show you the judgment against the great harlot. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast which was full of names of blasphemies having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls having in her hand a golden cup of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. This woman, this great harlot, was arrayed in purple and scarlet. Purple being a color of Rome. Scarlet was also a popular color in Rome. Or as Purple being a color of royalty, and scarlet was a color of, uh, of, uh, that was popular in Rome. And scarlet was associated, that color, with rank and with riches. Rich people wore scarlet. And here she is adorned in that which the world considers to be beautiful. But in the eyes of God, she is nothing but a royal sinner. God sees her as she really is, this great harlot. She's adorned in that which the world considers valuable and precious, the gold and the precious stones and the the pearls and, and the clothing and all of that. You know, far too often, many times, we are guilty of trying, as even as believers, of defining ourselves according to the world's standards. Guys, if you don't have six-pack abs, you might as well just, you know, jump in a lake somewhere or whatever, right? You got to have six-pack abs to really be somebody. You got to look a certain way, a certain image, you know. You got to drive a certain car. The world, this is what it, 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 it uh, uh, tells us. That you're not, unless you're doing this or unless you're doing that, you know, you're not really living at all. And we try to measure up to the world's standards. and we, We're depressed sometimes because, we're, you know, we don't, you know, look a certain way or have six-pack abs or whatever. But I think young women, young girls and women are really uh, uh, bear the brunt of that particular lie in our society. You have ladies, you have to look a certain way. You have to be a certain way. And all of this, and so many girls, you know, uh, that have bulimia and things and, and struggling with different things, trying, especially teenage girls, trying to look beautiful and think that beauty is from the outside, but no, beauty is from the inside out. And the, the neat thing is that in Christ, in order for us to be beauty, we don't have to have the things of the world that's caught, that says, you know, those things that make us beautiful. In Christ, we're beautiful without those things in the Lord. I think of the words of the Lord through the Apostle Peter, in particular speaking to women within the church. In 1 Peter chapter 3, there we read, Peter writes, do not let your adornment be merely outward. Now, let me just stop right there. He says, merely outward. He didn't say, don't take care of yourself. (laughs) Amen. Don't let it be merely outward. Listen, the old saying goes that if the barn needs a coat of paint, Paint the barn. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Fix yourself up. Amen. You don't have to let yourself go, whatever, you know. But don't let merely the outward things be the sole source of your adornment. But, he goes on to say the arranging of the chair, the hair rather, and and the, the wearing of gold or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart. With the incorruptible beauty of a genuine and quiet or a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. What's beautiful to God is that which is on the inside out, not the outside in. God's looking inwardly. Amen. And God says to you ladies right now, to you young girls, if you're in Christ, to him, you are beautiful. Amen. Hold on to that truth. Amen. You don't have to be adorned what the world considers beauty. Amen. And Jesus also warned us about this looking to the standard of the world and looking at the value of our life according to the standard of the world. He warned us in Luke chapter Sixteen, where he said, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts for what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. What's important to us in our lives. The very thing that we highly esteem. God says is an abomination It's an abomination. If we're in putting all of our, trust in that thing there's nothing wrong in having riches and pearls and and different things like that but if that's our hope for beauty it's an abomination in the sight of god what god values is what really matters so here we have this great harlot looking like she's successful and rich prosperous in the eyes of the world and god says she's an abomination. In verse 3, she is seated on a scarlet beast. I have a picture for you, an artist's rendition of, or, or a portrait of a, a picture of what that may look like. She's sitting on the beast. Remember, the beast looked like a leopard, had the heads of lions, had ten horns. She's sitting there dressed in scarlet with that cup, a golden cup in her hand. Well, who is the beast that she's sitting on? Well, the beast is The Antichrist. The Antichrist. The scarlet color of the beast is similar to the color of the devil. Remember, Revelation chapter 12 verse 3 says the devil was that fiery red dragon. But scarlet is also the color for sin. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18, the Lord God Appealing to the nation of Israel because they had sinned and turned away from God. He said, come now, let us reason together. And maybe God is saying that to someone here today over at Creekside or watching online. Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, amen. They shall be as white as snow. That's what God is saying. Come, let us reason together. Scarlet or crimson is a dye which the Egyptians made from shellfish and the Hebrews made from an insect, a parasite called Caucasus elysis. Sin is like a parasite. Sin is like a parasite which hopelessly stains or, or dies the soul of mankind. It's a stain you can't get out with good works and and trying to, you know, do good deeds and all of these things, trying to win God's approval. The Bible says our righteousness is but a filthy rag in the sight of God. Through our own righteousness, we cannot get rid of this stain, this dye that is on our soul. But the Bible says the good news is this. Jesus died. Amen. He died for our sins so that through faith in him, our sins can be washed away and we can be made as white as snow. That is the good news of the gospel. It's a free gift of God, not of works, lest anybody should boast. The scarlet harlot, however, refuses to reason with God. She doesn't want to reason with God. Her color, scarlet, once a symbol of shame, remember, though your sin be a scarlet. Now, I'm not advocating that if you got a scarlet color at home, you need to burn it. I'm not saying that at all. Amen. But scarlet, in the context of scripture, being like sin, her scarlet that scarlet color was a symbol of shame. But now she is wearing it as a symbol of honor, a badge of honor. Much like in our society, Many sins that were once shameful are now celebrated today. The people are celebrating the sins. Oh, that's not wrong anymore. Pastor Al, you're just too old-fashioned. That's okay now, you know, really. God changes not. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And though we may change, he changes not. And what was sin Back then, it's still sin today. In Isaiah chapter 5, the Lord warns us, he says, Woe to those who call evil good, and then good evil. Who put darkness for light, and light for darkness. Who put bitterness for sweet, and sweet for bitter. Woe to you. Who say now that which was darkness yesterday, sin, is now light today? The Lord says, Woe unto you. In verse 5, this scarlet harlot has a name written on her forehead, actually, several names. The Bible says, And on her forehead, a name was written mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. That's a pretty long name, but she's all these things. She's mystery. Babylon the Great, what does that mean? Well, Babylon is not just a place, but it's also considered a spirit of rebellion with God. It's derived from the word Babel. Many of you know the Tower of Babel. There in Genesis chapter 10, God confined, confounded the languages. He confused the languages. The people couldn't communicate with each other, whereby he kept them from building a temple or a tower, rather, to God, to the heavens, so that they could be like God. God confounded the languages and confused the languages and, they, and to stop that construction project because they were trying to be like God, and there is only one God. The religious system, therefore, of the great harlot would be one of confusion. And guess who is the author of confusion? It's the devil. It will be one of confusion. It will be one of, of a religion, I should say, of no absolutes. A religion by which people will fashion God in their own image, much like people are doing today. I mean, if you don't like this one religion, you can go to another religion. This religion allows this, this religion allows. Doesn't allow that, or whatever. You can find your own religion, or make your own up. People are doing that a lot today. What are we doing? We're fashioning God in our image, rather than being fashioned in His image. Also, on her head, we read on her head that, that she is the mother of harlots, of abominations of the earth. Her illicit spiritual intercourse with the world system is contrary to the true church, and thus. We find her, in verse 6, drunk on the blood of the saints and the martyrs of Jesus. In verse 6, we read, John said, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. <laughs> Why is John marveling here with great amazement? I think he's marveling here with great amazement because of the very fact that he's thinking, how can someone who names the name of Jesus, who names the name of Christ, murder fellow saints and drink the blood of those who've been martyred for Jesus? How can those who say they're Christians devour each other? He's marveling over that. But, you know, that happens in the church even today. John would marvel at how we devour one another in the name of Jesus. Calling ourselves Christians and gossiping about each other and devouring each other and wounding each other and plotting against each other. John marvels how can she be called a Christian and do these things? Well, the fact is that you can be a Christian in name only. And deny Jesus by your works. And this is what she has done, this great harlot. It is possible to have Jesus on my lips and on my mind, have the knowledge, I got a degree, I have a master in divinity or whatever, and not have Jesus in your hearts. Isaiah chapter 29, the Lord God says, Therefore, the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, But have removed their heart far from me and their fear toward me is taught by the commandments of men. These people have me on their lips, but their heart's far from me. What is that? It's what Paul called a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Their, their relationship with me is according to the commandments of men. Oh, I, 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 I told the line. I look like a Christian. I dress the way they want me to dress. I talk the way they want me to talk. I look the way they want me to look. But my heart is far from God. This is where the great harlot is. It's what she's about. In verses 7 to 11, John marvels. How can she have blood? the blood of, be called by the name of Christ and have blood on her hands? He marvels. In verse 7, but the angel said to him, why did you marvel? I wonder if the angel is saying that because, you know, uh, John, don't you know the nature of man? Don't you know how people really are? How unfaithful mankind is. Don't you know the nature of man, the depraved nature of man? And if we as believers do not walk in the spirit, Romans chapter 8 tells us that if we walk in the flesh, we'll die. Doesn't mean you lose your salvation, but your relationship with the Lord will become nullified. There'll be no intimacy, no transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. Therefore, walk ye in the spirit. So that you do not gratify the desires of the flesh. He says in Galatians, and it's so true. He says, look, you know, this is just the way the nature of mankind is. Why do you marvel, John? So I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her. Which was the seven, which has rather the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. Now, remember we talked about this back in Revelation chapter 13 that the, the beast, uh, this is the Antichrist here that is speaking about that Antichrist will be wounded, suffer a mortal wound, will die, and then come back to life. And the whole world will just blow everybody's mind, even though Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. <laughs> you know? But when they see this happen to the beast, everybody's going to be like, whoa, this is the man, this is the guy. They're going to be really impressed. But it's a counterfeit resurrection. It's not Easter. Amen. It's a counterfeit resurrection. And he says, and those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen. One is and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. All right. Now that we all understand that, let's move on. Okay. Let's, let's unpack it. All right. The mystery of the harlot. Well, he says the mystery of the harlot there in verse 7. He's talking about the secret of the harlot is now revealed. In other words, the harlot has been kind of living in secret. But we're going to, I'm going to show you who she really is. But it may manifest manifested who she really is. You know, John says in, in 1 John that there are those who went out from us. But they went out from us because they were never among us. They were never with us. They were never one with us. And it went out that it might be manifested that they were never of us in the first place. You see. And so a lot of people are in the church, but they're not of the church. And the day has come for this great harlot where the angel says, we me show you who she really is. The mystery is now revealed. She's not really with us at all. She's not really with the Lord at all. And the beast in verse 8, eight as we, I've already mentioned, is the Antichrist. And Antichrist is supporting the great harlot. She's riding on the Antichrist. We'll see what happens with that here in just a moment. But here's one thing I want to pass along to you. It's never a good thing for the church to be supported by the world. It's never a good thing for the church to be supported by the world. Because in order to win the world's support, you always have to appease the world. And when we start receiving support from the world, when the world is like, hey, the church is right and we should get behind the church, watch out. Step back a couple of steps, amen. That's not a good thing. I know where everybody's around and saying, oh, let's get America back to where it used to be and, and all of that and we can get back to you know, our re- religious roots and Judo, Judeo-Christian uh, uh, values and all that. And that's great, that's wonderful. But when the world starts... Embracing the church, there's a problem. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword, to bring division. Amen. And there's a clear division between light and darkness. Here's one of the reasons why I have never supported the idea of our church receiving any kind of grant from the government. Never will, never have. God said, trust me, I'll provide. And he has. Amen. I'm not just saying it to pump, my, pump, you know, pump myself up or anything. It's just the Lord told me a long time ago, because there's a lot of grants out there, and we were tempted, like, oh, there's a grant over here. This, this group offers a grant. This a grant. I said, no, the Lord said, don't you dare. Don't you, don't you have some untempered mortar martyr, martyr that you're mixing together here? Because the reality is that if you embrace or you accept the grant, then people can come in and tell you what to say and what not to say. And we're going to preach the whole counsel of God's word here today. Amen. And we're going to always preach his word. Well, Pastor Al, we really like your organization. You guys are doing a fine job. But if you could just be more positive and leave out Jesus thing. Because you know what? In order for you to receive this, you know, $500,000, you know, you need to embrace LGBTQ and you need to embrace all the other religions and all this. You know, you need to be more universal. You know, ain't going to happen. Amen. Not according to this word, amen? The light has no fellowship with darkness. I'm not saying in your business world or whatever you want to accept the grant. That's up to you. That's, that's totally fine. But for the house of God, Jesus is the head, amen? And God is our Jehovah Jireh. He is our provider, amen? The just shall definitely live by faith. And so God has provided for his church. And so I give God praise and glory. Now in verse 9, the seven heads are seven mountains, where the harlot resides. And most scholars believe the seven mountains speak of Rome. There are seven hills or seven mountains in Rome. They're named, and if you're fluent in Italian, you can come and rebuke me later. But they're named Palatine, Capitoline, Quirinal, Quirinal excuse me, Venomol, Esquiline, and uh, Celian, C- excuse me, and Aventine or Aventine. So these are the seven mountains, seven hills upon which Rome was built on. And they believe that this seven hills, seven mountains is where this harlot is seated, that she's seated in Rome. And so therefore, some people believe that that possibly the Roman Catholic Church, along with the Protestant Church, will be spearheading this uh, false church during the tribulation period. Now, that's speculation. That's what some people believe. It is yet to be seen. We will see. But we do know this, that her headquarters for the the harlot, that scarlet harlot, is Rome. In verses 10 and 11, there we also see seven kings. Now, here where you have to kind of listen closely. In regards to these seven kings, according to verse 10, it says that five of these kings, or kingdoms, have passed away and one however was present that is existed during the time John is writing the book of Revelation and one is yet to come now many believe that the five past kings refer to five past kingdoms the kingdoms are these and if you can write fast you can write these down but they are Egypt Assyria Babylon Persia And Greece, Egypt, Syria, Assyria, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, and Greece. The present kingdom, the sixth kingdom, in John's day was the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire. And the future kingdom, the seventh kingdom to come, is the kingdom of the beast, that is the Antichrist. I don't want to confuse you, but some scholars believe it's not five kingdoms, it's five kings. And so we'll let them, let them debate about that. Um, and some believe that the, the five kings are five Roman rulers. And I'm just going to say them real quick. They, they think that it's probably Julius Caesar, Tiberius, Caligula, Claudius, and Nero. And uh, the sixth one being Domitian. Domitian was actually ruling the Roman Empire at the time John is writing the book of Revelation. Here's the point. The point is that both of these interpretations point to the fact that that seventh kingdom is the kingdom of the beast, or the Antichrist. In verse 10, the latter part, it says that he will continue for a short time. He'll be a short-timer, this uh, uh, king of the or king, or kingdom, the seventh kingdom. It would be for a short time. Only seven years during the tribulation period. And it talks about short time, talking about seven years during the tribulation time. In verse 11, the beast, it says, was of the seven. So he is of the seven. He, he's the same spirit, same ilk, or whatever. He's the same. He's of the seven, the beast, the antichrist, is of the seven, in that he will be the seventh kingdom. A revived Roman Empire in the last days. We talked about that in uh, Revelation chapter 13. But it's based on Daniel's prophecy. This revived Roman Empire in the last days. On Daniel chapter 9 verse 27. But he will also be of the 8th. So he's of the 7th. The Antichrist is of the 7th kingdom. His kingdom will be the 7th kingdom. But he's also of the 8th. Well what is the 8th? The 8th is the 10 nation confederation. Ten-nation confederation that he will rule over toward his final days. We read about it here in verse 12 and 13. In verse 12, it says, The ten horns which you saw are ten kings, two and ten rulers, who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour. As kings with the beast, these are one mind and they will give their power and authority to the beast. So for one hour, they will give their authority to the beast in context that one hour literally means the Greek word for one hour literally means a certain short time or short season. And Daniel's prophecy, Daniel tells us that short season is three and a half years. Three and a half years. He says it's a time, times, and half a time, which is three and a half years that this ten-nation confederation will be ruled by the Antichrist, a short time, according to Daniel chapter 7, verses 24 and 25. They will experience a demonically inspired unity. They will come against the Lamb of God, the people of God, and yet the Bible says in verse 14... These will make war with the lamb and the lamb will overcome them for he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. Hallelujah. Amen. In the midst of all this chaos. Amen. Praise the Lord. Give him praise and glory. Amen. Thank you, Father. That the lamb of God. The world now united, a ten-nation confederation, and they're coming against the people of God. Oh, it looks like they're winning. It reminds me here of, of Muhammad Ali. One of his tactics in, in boxing was called what? The rope-a-dope, right? And it's like the enemy is winning, and then the church is against the ropes, you know, and doing the rope-a-dope. But, you know, uh, Ali would invite people to come in and just hit him and hit him until they, he wears them out. Then he would clock them, amen, knock them out, right? called the rope dope, and I believe at this particular time and even now that the enemy is coming against the church the church looks up against the ropes but Jesus is getting ready for a TKO amen he's ready to knock the enemy out he's just setting him up and he's setting him up here in the book of Revelation oh they thought they were winning we've got a coalition we've got one world government now we've got unity in the world and oh we're going to give it to God now and yet it looks like they got him against the ropes and he comes out swinging amen And the Lamb overcomes this ten-nation confederation, overcomes the world. The same thing applies in our lives, folks. Oh, you may feel like you're up against the ropes this morning. I feel like the devil's winning, Pastor. I'm taking the blows. Oh, but God's getting ready for a TKO. Amen. I love what Micah says in Micah chapter 7, verse 8. He says, do not rejoice over me, my enemy, when I fall. Because I will rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. Don't pop the cork on the champagne, devil, too soon. Amen. Amen. I may be up against the ropes, but I'm not finished. Paul said, I was down, but I'm not out. Amen. Praise his holy name. And notice something here. I want you to see something here also. The difference between what the devil says about you and what the Lord says about you. What does the devil say to you? Well, he says to you what he says to me. You're hopeless. You can never get it right. You're a loser. You've been forsaken. God doesn't God, God care anything about you. Those are the things that the devil is constantly trying to tell us. They're lies. Because what does Jesus say about those that are in him? The Bible says about those who are in Christ. It's the latter part of verse 14 You're chosen and you're faithful. Who, you? Me? That's right. You're chosen, and he calls you faithful. How can he call you faithful? It's not because of your faithfulness, but the faithfulness of his son. Amen. Amen? He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Amen? He looks at us, he sees the righteousness of his son. He says, you're chosen, and you're faithful. Amen? Isn't that good? There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus amen praise his holy name God calls you chosen he calls you faithful because of his son in verses 15 to 18 as we continue as then he said to me the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes nations and tongues and the ten horns which you saw on the beast these these rulers will hate the harlot Make her desolate and naked. Eat her flesh and burn her with fire. See, that's why you don't trust in the support that you get from the world. They turn against the great harlot. Then it says this, that God is large and in charge. For God has put it in their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. (laughs) Can we get that down in our soul in the next presidential election? That God is not intimidated by who's in the White House. You are. You've got your underwear in a bunch (laughs) over who's in the White House. God ain't worried. Psalm 2 says the nation's rage, and God sits on his throne and laughs. Well, Pastor, what about? I don't know. But I do know this, that nobody's in authority but that God puts them there. Now, Christians have a problem with that. You know why they have a problem with that? Because they don't live by faith. They don't trust God. Ain't nobody there. Ain't nobody going to be there but what God wants. Now, listen, we should vote. Absolutely. Perform our civic duty. But understand that the outcome is in the hands of God. And even when it looks like the wicked are winning, they are falling in line with God's agenda. That's what it says here. Did you hear me? I mean, because you still got people, who are, oh, oh, okay. if ain't Obama, it's Bush. If ain't Bush, it's, it's Trump. Oh, Trump. God, repent. God is in control, man. God, amen. Praise his holy name. I didn't say we had to like it. I just said we just, you know, we just trust that God is in control. The harlot is destroyed. The nations turn against her. Her demise reminds me of my old childhood story, the old gingerbread man. Remember him? Anybody remember gingerbread man? My favorite childhood story. Because I think every time I read it, I was hungry. I don't know. The older, the older couple couldn't have any kids. And so the wife baked a gingerbread boy in the oven and he pops out. He's a real boy. And he starts running. And he says to her, run, run as fast as you can. You can't catch me. I'm the gingerbread man. I am, I am. (laughs) And he runs from the cow, I think, and the horse and the farmer. And nobody can catch you. He comes to the river and and he can't get across because you don't want to step in the water. He might dissolve. And so the old fox comes along and says, hey, gingerbread boy, why don't you hop on my back? I'll take you across. He goes about halfway across, jump on my head. It's getting deep. He jumps on his head. He says, you're on top of my nose. He's on his nose. Wolf, old wolf, or I mean, the fox throws his head back and chomp, chomp, chomp. Gingerbread boy eats the gingerbread boy, right? Great story. Amen. <laughs> and I was thinking, <laughs> I was thinking it's very similar to what happens to the scarlet harlot riding on the back of the Antichrist and the Antichrist devours it. But isn't it like the nature of sin? Sin supports you only to condemn you. How many times have we done things the night before to only find condemnation waiting by our bedside first thing in the morning? The very thing that we ride in on, our pride, our drugs, financial gain, political power, can be the very thing that destroys us. The scarlet harlot's false religion proves to be false security. Jesus said it well, for what will it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his own soul? Amen. So verse 18, and the woman who you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Now we'll get into the fall of Babylon next time, but let me leave you with these words of application, I believe. Because we're talking here about the False church, the great harlot. And what is the difference and what distinguishes the false church from the true church today? Because again, as I said a minute, much of the church is, is is in danger of playing the harlot today. Sometimes people will come and say, Well, how do I how do I know I'm going to a good church? How do, you, how do you know the difference? Well, here are three things I'm going to give you, and there are many, but here are three. Fold it down to three. The first question, the three questions we should ask attending any church. Number one is what have you done with the son? What have they done with the son? What have they done with Jesus? This is an important question because a lot of people like to lower, so-called Christian groups even, like to lower the status of Jesus. For instance, the Jehovah, the Jehovah Witnesses do. You say, oh, but they believe in the same Jesus. No, they don't. Jesus said that he was God, that he was one with God. And the Jehovah Witnesses teach that Jesus is a God according to the Watchtower. That is, with a small g, he's one of many gods, he's, he's a God. But he's not God. But the Bible says, in the beginning was the word, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In the beginning beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, the word was with God. And the word became flesh, John goes on to say in John chapter 1, the gospel of John chapter 1, and he dwelt among us. And then Jesus said, in John chapter 14, verse 9, Philip said, show us the Father. And Jesus said, have I been with you all this time, this long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father, amen? Wow. They will try to lower Jesus to some, you know, some other place, you know. Or they will try to make him equal with other deities. That's called religious pluralism. Religious pluralism pluralism teaches that there are many roads to God. Where Jesus said in John fourteen six, you know it. Well, if I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but through me. Amen, period, end of story. So I always want to know, the first question I ask, what have they done with the son? The second thing is, what have they done with the word? Sola Scriptura. Sola Scriptura, Latin for by the word only, by scripture only. Sola Scriptura. That's what we are about here at Calvary Worship Center, the word of God. It's not the word of God usurped by the Pope. Or the word of God usurped by some guru. You got to watch out for folks who have a new revelation. The latter day, saints. A new revelation. Really? Jesus is the fullness of the revelation. Amen. There is no other revelation. In him dwells the fullness of God. He's a very express image of God. Hebrews chapter 1. So, when he, people come around and say, oh, we got something else. No, sola scriptura. The scripture alone is our authority. Christ is the fulfillment of the word. So I want to ask the question when I'm going to your church, when you invite me, amen. Is God's word redacted? Is it censored? Are there some parts of the Bible we accept and oh, we love, that, but we don't get to the other parts. There's a movement in the church today to deny or to to discount the word of God in the Old Testament. Oh, we don't need the Old Testament. We're not under law. No, we're not under law, but it's all good. It's still the word of God. I remember meeting a lady one time. She said, you know, she's anyway, whatever. And she said, you know what, I, I, I love the, I, I believe what the word of God says, especially what Jesus says, the, 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 you know, the scripture and the letters, the red letters and all of that. But I have a problem with the apostle Paul. I said, well, you got a problem with three quarters of the New Testament. <laughs> there are Christians who pick and choose and, and, you know, scripture. But we ought to be sola, script, uh, sola scriptura, amen. We ought to trust in God's word alone. All of his word. Paul says to young Timothy, the preacher, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instructions in righteousness that the man of God or the woman of God for that matter may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Amen. All scripture, not some scripture. Now we got a few people clapping here. The rest of you look stunned. Did you not know that? All scripture. All scripture. Not some scripture. I want to know what you're going to do with what you guys are doing with the word. And thirdly, I want to know what you're doing with each other. What do I mean by that? What Jesus said, John chapter 13. By this, all will know that you are my disciples. How? By the size of our church, by our building, by our budgets, by the eloquence of the pastor who speaks, by our worship band. By our programs, no. But by the fact that you have love for one another. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, Paul says, you know what? Circumcision and uncircumcision, none of these things matter. Jew, Gentile, those things don't matter. What matters is this, is faith working in love. Because it takes faith to love. Love. That's why the scripture says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves so that we can come here and practice love in each other. And even beyond these walls, practice love in each other so that the world might believe that we belong to Jesus. I heard people say, well, I don't need to go to church. That's usually some knuckleheaded dude. I'm just saying, you've been saying that. Stop it. You're a knucklehead. When the Bible says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves. And you know why God wants you to come together? Because he is, he is by design put people here to just rub you the wrong way, to just tick you off. And then he's going to call you to love them people so that you can learn to love like his father, so that, like the father, so that you can be more like Jesus. Amen? <laughs> Sitting in your living room by yourself with you and nobody else, me, myself, and I, the trinity of selfishness, you will never grow in the Lord. But it's when we come together, God teaches us how to love each other. Amen? Yeah, it's hard to love Christians, isn't it? I say, say, you know, somebody said, the ministry is great if it wasn't for people." Amen? Some pastors say at pastor conferences, "Amen, forgive me." But we have to we're called to love each other, that the world might believe we belong to Jesus Christ. Lest we devour one another. Just like the great harlot. Devouring the true believers in Christ. John said this in 1 John chapter 3. He said, my little children. Let us not love in word or in tongue. But in deed and in truth. If you're married for more than 10 minutes. You know what this means. (laughs) That it takes faith. Working in love to stay married. Amen. If you're part of the church for more than 10 minutes, it takes faith, working in love. Amen. So those three questions I would ask is, is is there an atmosphere of love? There's an atmosphere of grace. What have they done with the word and what have they done with the son? Ezekiel chapter 16, let me close with this, and I know I'm going a few minutes over because your biological clocks are saying, he should be done by now, but I'm not. <laughs> Amen, I'm not. Amen. Just a couple more minutes. We have baby dedications? Come on now. Amen. <laughs> you cut me some slack. But in Ezekiel chapter 16, if you really want to know the heart of God towards spiritual harlotry, read Ezekiel chapter 16. God speaks of the nation of Israel. He said, I, I, I know of your nativity. And, I, and I'm paraphrasing because it's a long chapter. It says, I know of your nativity. I know when you were born. When you were born, you were thrown out into a field. Nobody cared for you. You were still attached to your umbilical cord. I came and picked you up. I cleaned the blood off of you. I fixed you up. I, I anointed you with oil. I gave you sweet uh, 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 cakes to eat and and I clothe you with with jewels and I put fine garments on you and I cleaned you up I did all these things Your, your fame went throughout the land and all of that God said I did all of that for you and then he goes on to say but then you began to trust in your own beauty and I thought isn't that like some folks in the church oh I got a degree on the wall now they call me pastor now and I began to trust in my own self oh I've been around the church for a while don't you know how long I've been coming here I get that a lot there's no righteousness and longevity. <laughs> Amen, brother, back up. I don't owe you nothing but love. I don't owe you no position. God said, I did all these things, but you began to trust in your own ability. Oh, look, oh, I'm, I'm something now, right? You began to trust in yourself. And then you began to lay with your lovers. He said, you gave it, he said, you, this is what he said, I'm paraphrasing, but it's real close to what the Lord says. He said, you gave it up to whoever wanted it. Your time of love was upon you and you went out and you just, whoever, whoever would have it, you gave it to him. God called, he said, you act like a harlot. And they went through all this, talk about this harlotry and all of these different things. And the Lord for a long time here in in, uh, uh, Ezekiel chapter 16, but then he comes to chapter Uh, verse 60, actually. Like I said, it's a long chapter, verse 60. And the Lord says this, after all of this, after all of our mess, all of our unfaithfulness, our harlotry. And again, he's speaking to Israel, but he could be applied to the church today. The Lord says, nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. And then in verse Verse 62, he says, and I will establish my covenant with you. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, that you may remember and be ashamed and never open your mouth anymore because of your shame. Not speaking about your shame anymore. When I provide you an atonement for all you have done, says the Lord. The atonement for all we have done is Jesus Christ. No matter how many times you've done it, how many people you've done it with, how long you've done it, Jesus has made atonement for our shame. What a beautiful portrait. God says, you know what? In another place in the Old Testament, he says, for all of this sin that Israel committed, my arms are stretched out still. Someone who needs to hear that today, watching online over at Creekside here, God says, my arms are stretched out still for you. Do you know for certain if you were to die today that you go to heaven? He said, but pastor, you don't know what I've done. His arms are stretched out still. He loves you. He has made atonement through his son for all of our shame, all of our sins, all of our harlotry. Not just for those who don't know Christ, but for those who are in Christ as well. If you do not know for certain that you... Or on your way to heaven today, you say, Pastor, I want to know. We'd like to give you an opportunity to come to Christ this morning. Just take a couple of minutes, but I'm going to keep you very long. But if this this is your time to come to the Lord, if that's your heart's desire, I want you in this auditorium to stand to your feet. If you're online, there's a button for you to click to say, I want to receive Christ. If you're upstairs in the overflow, stand up. If you're at Creekside, stand. And I'm going to lead you in this prayer to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Is there anyone here today? We say, Pastor, that's me. There's someone standing here. God bless you. Anyone else? We're gonna pray in just a moment. Anyone else? Amen. Thank you, sir. God bless you. It takes courage, man. It takes courage, but the courage is enabled through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. God is speaking to your heart. It's because He loves you. He's not trying here to condemn you. Stand, we're gonna pray in just a moment. Those who are standing, those who are watching online, over at Creekside, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. I want you to say it out loud so your own ears can hear it because this is your confession before God. Simply say, Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died for my sins. And I believe you are risen from the dead. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life right now, this morning. I receive you, say this, I receive you as my Lord and as my Savior. Thank you for forgiving me. Will you say that? In Jesus' name. If you pray that prayer with me, I want to shake your hand and give you some information to help you grow in the Lord. So I want to ask you to come on down now. i like to meet you. Shake your hand. I'm going to direct you over here to get some information. God bless you. Thank you for your courage. God bless you, man. She has that information for you. God bless you. Thank you for coming, man. God bless you. Right over here. Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you guys. walk you over here, man. You're welcome, bro. God bless you, man. Amen. Praise the Lord. God is good. If you're over at Creek, Creekside, you can go down front. There's people there to greet you and all, and, and we'll give you that information as well. Uh, we're going to, well, I got you a few minutes over, and I know I'm going to be fair to our Sunday school ministry and all. These guys are going to be leading the worship song as you're being dismissed. But uh, if you have a need for prayer, we have prayer team members down here that help, happy to pray with you. Pastors stand on either side here to pray with you so you don't have to rush out uh, immediately. But thank God. Amen. Praise God for his word. Thanks for
0: catching today's episode of Pastor Al Pittman's teaching on the CWCCS podcast. Do you have questions about the end times? Pastor Al's latest book has the answers. Where are we on God's prophetic calendar? Listen to Pastor Al Pittman. This is where we are right now.
1: We're waiting for him to come back for his bride.
0: Here is what Jim Daly from Focus on the Family said about Pastor Al's new book, Revelation, Earth's Final Chapter. Al Pittman has written this commentary to unpack the end of the story.
1: We're all looking for this great day. That great day, the culmination of human history, the expectation, and the rejoicing of all the saints of God.
0: Order your copy of Pastor Al's Revelation book where you buy books online or at cwccs.org.
1: Here's the deal, people. Get ready. Jesus is coming back for his bride. the bride needs to be ready you will be challenged and encouraged therefore no matter what you're going through today comfort one another with these words
0: pastor al's latest book comes from his in-depth teaching series on the book of revelation learn more at cwccs.org if you haven't already hit subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode and if this message hit home for you share it with a friend You can also support this ministry and these free teachings by visiting cwccs.org and click on Give. While you're there, you can also find the full archive of teachings from Pastor Al Pittman by clicking on the sermons link. That's cwccs.org. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is presented by Calvary Worship Center of Colorado Springs.